The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 850. 860 a.m. I can't believe I screwed that up. First time. 860 a.m. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacey Mitchell. We've got Nick behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018, number 11 in the country, number seven in the state, and we're streaming live every single week on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So we've got a killer show set up today. we got First State Brewing coming in from down in Delaware thanks to Sarah for setting that up on our third segment. But first, we're going to unpack a little bit about what's been going on in the market, kind of some of the some of the things that we've seen happen that have been a little unusual um, in, in terms of uh, what, what Zillow's predicting and some of these different things that have come across. So let's start with the housing market tracker. What we saw here is that we, we saw slower than expected growth for active listings over the past week. We saw another 2,939 new homes come to the market. We saw rates kind of settle in at 7% post-Fed meeting. So what are you guys feeling in the market right now? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm definitely feeling, um, you know, some hesitation, feeling confident with with where everything where everything's at. It's kind of interesting for for some people that I'm working with. I feel like there are properties that are coming up for others. Like it's you're kind of just like, you know, searching for the needle in the haystack. <laughs> I have to agree with that. Um, I have a lot of people just sitting on the sidelines waiting for particular neighborhoods to open up. These are people that have put offers in before. Mm -hmm. And the past probably three months, there's been nothing for them to even submit offers. So, gosh, maybe five or six of those that are just sitting on the sidelines. And they're watching the interest rates tick up. (laughs) So there's a little bit of stress on, on their part. But they all have super motivation to move. So... You know, I'm hoping for them that after, you know, the holidays over, meaning Labor Day and kids are back to school, maybe, and the interest rates possibly go down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be trending that way. Maybe the opportunity is going to strike this fall for them, I'm hoping. But the folks that have real motivation to move, I mean, they're, we're out there hoofing it. And interestingly enough, on Sunday, I took out some clients um, and we were actually able to see nine homes. Tell us more about that. Like, what was the price point? What were they looking for? Because that, that that's not the norm, not, for sure. Yeah, and, and the ones that made the top of their list, the three, they're still on the market. So he, we're going back for a second showings. They're out of town, so they're coming from Colorado. Mm-hmm. Second showings on Sunday. So, And I've been in contact with each of those agents. Wow. There's, there's still hope. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping, fingers crossed, we can make it out on Saturday. But, yes, yeah, so they're looking for uh, a little more than an acre of land, at least a two-car garage, single-family home. They're open to school districts, so for them— That makes a big difference. —makes a huge difference because we went everywhere from media to Kennett Square to Westchester to Chatsford— mm-hmm. To Downingtown, and if you can, if you have the flexibility, mm-hmm. and you aren't looking in a specific neighborhood, like my people waiting on the sidelines, <laughs> waiting for that certain home to open up there, um, then there's opportunity. You know, a couple of the houses that we looked at already had price drops. It kind of concerns me because that, that might, you know, spur other buyers that 
were mm-hmm. possibly interested uh, to come back around. But there's motivation on the seller part, too, which is okay. great. So what you're talking about right now, what you two are seeing, um, it's exactly where I wanted to go with this segment, which is um, I, I had the opportunity to interview Lance Lambert last week from Fortune magazine, and he's calling the current phenomenon as the lock-in effect. Right. So what, what he means by that, when you when you hear the word lock in effect, um, it's very real. And he has like this heat map where it's areas that saw a almost negative 40 percent decline year over year in new listings. And because of the pandemic boom and two and three percent rates, you know, this is something that a lot of people around the country are talking about because it's homeowners are reluctant to sell and buy something new because of the shock involved with going to six or seven percent. And we're in a seasonal market right now, meaning it's August. You're talking about like vacation. We've got back to school coming up. This is a time of year where a lot of folks historically, it's a slower time. Um, And, you know, because of when you two got in the business, I mean, we didn't really like see, you probably aren't used to an August like this. So usually it's just kind of rock and roll. Let's, let's go. Yeah. And, and some people are even saying that, that sellers are actually like going on strike. Um, and there was a Zillow survey that revealed that the tipping point for homeowners locked into lower rates, um, that when they, you know, homeowner locked in at like five and a half percent, for example, is more likely to sell when rates fall below six than one locked into a four and a half percent. So a lot of this is going to depend on where people's rates are, you know, what what they're going to be able to move into. And I think that that's really the log jam with inventory now. So you've got people that are motivated on the buy side, which, which is which is very true. But the, the sellers just they're, they're still holding on. So do, do you feel like there's a lock in effect when you're talking to people on the phone, when you're having conversations with potential consumers or potential? I shouldn't say consumers because they're all consumers, but potential uh, parties to a transaction. Is this something that's coming up more and more? Because I looked at just you know, my last five, six days of calls. I think I've talked to a hundred some people. It's my rates too low. I don't know where I'm going to go. Now the people that are moving, it's like, Hey, I can't take care of the house anymore, or I've got something else going on. So is this, is this, is this data support what you're seeing in the field? That that's my question here. I would say yes. Um, but what is interesting for like, I currently have a, a client who is going to be like looking to buy and then, you know, line up the sale of their place. And, um, it was for a very long time, like, I mean, rate, like, given what rates are, blah, blah, blah. Nope. Like, once they, it's so funny, once they, like, start looking, then it's like the bug has bitten them. <laughs> and they're, That's like, good. into it. You know what I mean? And they're, like, starting to, like, see more stuff that they would be interested in. And now the they understand that this is the market and that while they are locked into a, you know, very low rate right now for what they want to get, you know, and what makes sense for their lives, like moving is (laughs) what that scenario is. Um, And once they get excited about it and start looking, some of those other things, you know, they just kind of um, come to terms with it. And it's, it's not like a nonstop. Yeah, I can see, especially people if they have kids and they're busting out at the Mm -hmm. seams at their house. I mean, at some point, you have to say, okay, I have to give up this four and a half percent because if not, we're all just going to like step on each other here. Right, right. <laughs> so I guess that, you know, when people hit their tipping point, then they make that decision. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that a lot of people that I speak to, too, potential sellers, they are locked into their rate. And um, it is, well, where would we go? And we're thinking about just doing renovations, updates, additions, things like mm-hmm. that. So I understand. I, you know, I can, I can sympathize with them. 
because they could probably add to their house, you know, a, a little better of a rate or less expensive, create more space that they want, um, or do upgrades and fall in love with their kitchen again or fall in love with their, you know, their primary bedroom and their ensuite, whatever their projects may be. But, uh, yeah, it, it's I'm, I'm hitting those same roadblocks, Tom, you know, with people locked into the rates. So the, the lock in effect, I don't, I don't see this changing anytime soon unless rates come down. And that's that that to me is, is probably the clearest thing here. And when, when you look at the Zillow survey that's out there um, or, or just read through the lock in effect itself and, and the, the stuff that Lance has been putting out there, it tends to make a lot of sense um, because, you know, we're he's calling it a seller strike that only seven out of the nation's largest 200 markets are back to pre-pandemic inventory levels. Now, now the flip side here is we've seen inventory jump up a good bit. We're at the highest number of homes for sale year to date. And it sounds like you're seeing a bit of that. Are, are you seeing this with other clients that they're kind of like finding some more options there right now? Or, or what, 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 what are you seeing in the field when it comes to inventory? It's the, the clients that um, are very flexible. They're the ones that are having the best luck out there. Yeah. The ones that are very hyper-focused on a school district or a neighborhood, they're the ones that aren't having. Uh, that's where the, the inventory is still lacking. Right. Or what comes up, you know, it's um, a, it, it lasts three days on the market, multiple offers, and, and they get beat. But, yeah, that's that's what I'm seeing out there. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've recently had two cases of um, – finding properties that actually have been on the market for that, like, you know, 15 plus days, like whatever, mm-hmm. maybe they've done a price drop. Um, so, you know, that's where you do have a little bit more wiggle room to negotiate. However, I feel like um, my one, like the buy side, they were maybe taking it a little too far to the extreme for what uh, mm-hmm. the type of offer that they were writing. Um, oh. So, you know, at, at this, I mean, they're not going to give the house away, you yeah. know, so... Um, I think it's like finding that sweet spot of how to still make a good competitive offer that both sides would feel good about, but, um, you know, not going too far in either direction. Well, and you know, I, I've seen buyers do this. I mean, you're talking about your folks. Uh, we had another agent on our team. She went through this where the the the, the buyer has a home sale contingency. Mm-hmm. The seller agrees to it. And then he starts micromanaging the terms. And uh, the agent called me and said, I'm, I'm a little concerned he's going to lose the house. I said, you're right. Like, this is what's going to happen. You've recently got one of these accepted. And all of a sudden, that extreme negotiation, another offer comes in. It's just you're, you're out. I mean, they don't, right. they, don't even, they don't even come back to you in those scenarios because right. of the way you approach those negotiations because it ticks everybody off. And Right. It, it really does. Mm-hmm. It puts a bad taste in your mouth, and it makes you kind of feel like this is going to be too tedious. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this the whole way through the transaction. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I mean, I don't blame them. I mean, you kind of, and, and the writing's usually on the wall. And now I think that the, this particular buyer is probably going to be in a position where this person's ready to go. So, if knowing we're in this like lock-in effect market, um, and I think there, there, there's two pieces of advice. We want to look at what do, what do buyers need to be thinking, and what do sellers need to be thinking right now. Um, what's your advice for buyers, if it kind of given all the experience that you're seeing, because sellers are locked in, rates I don't think are going anywhere at least until. September, and depending on what the Fed does, although we do have inflation data coming out this week, so we'll see what happens with that, because if that comes down, um, it's the consumer price index, and you know if that's that, that core inflation's a little lighter, that actually might 
cause rates to come down because they were they were at seven and a quarter earlier in the week. They're already down to seven this week. So we've been kind of bouncing around there. What are you telling buyers right now that want to transact? What's your advice to them? And then I'll I'll, I'll talk about the seller side here. Well, for for my clients that are um, looking to buy, and if 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 it's the house that they want, I mean, they have to go all in because it's, I think. For the most part, my clients that I've been working with for a while and they're looking for specific areas, they've already learned this lesson. Mm-hmm. They might have went a little bit lighter on their offer than, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they got beat out. So they know they missed. And I know they're thinking about those homes that they missed out on. Mm-hmm. I just know it. Yeah. Um, so I think they're in a better position to that they understand fully. It, this market's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah. And they have to go all in if they want, you know, if, if they want the next great house on the market. Um, so, you know, I just try to keep them motivated, keep sending them options, um, checking in with them, you know, giving them updates on the market and where the interest rates are and what we project, you know, what we're speculating, what the experts are speculating. So I just try to keep them, their heads in the, in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say like for me, it's, it's keeping them positive, bringing them back to uh, the motivation and for what is the reason for the move. Um, And then just, you know, if they have for clients that have lost out on past offers, kind of as we're getting ready to structure a new one, um, going back and kind of reflecting on, hey, this is where in previous offers things fell short. And depending on how long you've been working with the client or how long ago they put in that last offer, the house they lost out on may have already closed. So now you can see like you can go back and look and see, you know, it. this is what it settled at. So, mm-hmm. you know, this wasn't us just like pooling Trying numbers out of nowhere. Yeah, like it. <laughs> this is where it came in at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, running your comps and showing where like you're expecting this next one to come in at um, and just giving them all the information that you can and let them decide how how strong they, they want to go with it. Um, because, yeah, in this, like bringing back to what Stacey said, depending on how – particular the client is with location or neighborhood or, you know, school district or whatever, there might not be another one that, you know, you can't just expect that tomorrow there's going to be a bunch more that are options. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when the right one comes up, if it's right, like give it a real shot. Mm-hmm. And this advice doesn't just apply to the 2023 market, by the way. This has always been the case that, you know, if you micromanage the terms or over negotiate, you're going to take people off. If you find a home that's going to hit a lot of your boxes, you may still be waiting for one that comes on the market because some people are looking for something really particular. So this is sound advice no matter what the market conditions are. I want to flip to the seller side because this is some interesting data from the Zillow survey that 23% of homeowners are thinking about selling their home within the next three years or have already listed their home for sale. That's an 8% increase of homeowners who indicated the same a year earlier. And that share gets even higher with mortgage holders locked in the rates above 5%, where 38% of those say they're open to selling in the next three years. Um, so even though we're in this shortage of homes right now, there there's an opportunity out there. And we're going to talk about this in the next segment, what agents should be doing in this climate with this lock-in effect. If if rates come down a little bit, and, and this, this Zillow survey is fascinating because it, it, it really shows that, you know, the percent of homeowners um, planning on selling their home by reported mortgage rate it's, it's much higher when they're above 5% because the, the, economically it makes more sense for them. It's not that big of a difference. When they're below 5%, the financial pain is there. That comes to affordability. 
And the inflection point is somewhere between 4 and 5% where you look at w- w- what's going to cause people to move. But if there's that many people thinking about moving in the next three years and you're getting frustrated with you know w- w- what's happening, I think, one, if you're a seller, I'd be trying to beat that crowd right now. If you've got a place to go or you're not having to buy a new home, because I think that's really where it gets sticky for a lot of folks. It's going from a 3 to a 7. I, I understand the math there. I can't. There's no objection handler to come over that. That's just that's just a fact. It's 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 and and if you're telling people it's a good time to do that, you're probably giving them bad advice and prioritizing the commission over the actual uh, best interest of the client. The flip side is that if you're a seller and you've got a place lined up to go, you're thinking about next year, or there's some situation where maybe maybe you're going to rent. Right? I mean, there's a lot of people looking at all those things. I'd be moving ahead of the market because the demand is so frothy right now. I mean, there was another agent on our team, anecdotally, she showed me something today and said, hey, this this home has a $150,000 stucco estimate attached to it. It's priced in the mid-sixes. My client wants to offer X. What do you think? And by the time she sent me everything, it went under contract at the asking price Wow. Yeah. with $150,000 worth of repairs. So, I mean, that alone kind of tells you what the demand's like. If I'm a seller right now, I'm thinking, how can I beat these people? Because the rates aren't hurting the prices, at least in our marketplace here. I don't, I don't see any data that indicates that otherwise. And if you've got almost a quarter of all the sellers coming to the market, well, the normal terms like it's like five percent. So this is an opportunity for sellers. If you've got your next move planned out or ready to go, you should probably be moving up your timetable to take advantage of the market because of the demand that you're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. In particular, um, I have a client and she's listing for that very reason. She, um, you know, she's a little older, so she doesn't want to maintain the home anymore. She's done. You know, she she did new windows, new HVAC. She's like, I'm finished. I'm just going to rent. She said, for the first time, I'll feel like I have no responsibilities. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, kids out of the house. She's by herself. She can do whatever she wants to do once she unloads this house. So for that, I'm like, wow, what? an amazing sense of freedom for her, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so now that's what she's doing. She's uh, trying to secure her next apartment, and she's really excited. Yeah. So that's an option right. that some people can consider. And she's not afraid of renting. She actually is embracing it because she feels like I can just move anytime, anywhere. Right. Maybe if I want to move out west with my kids or somewhere mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's creating her options and she's creating her her sense of freedom, which I was like, wow, I'm a little envious of that. You know, what right, I mean? right. It sounds sounds fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, but that's a different way to look at it. Sure. But when it, but she's in that like, you know, you, you talk about the, the the motivating factors. She the house is too big for her, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's not it, it those costs aren't going to go down to maintain the house. The time right. that it takes the main house isn't maintain the house isn't going to go down. So this is what people should be thinking about now because there's still a lot of time left in the year and there's opportunity. People are going to start talking about Christmas, like next thing you know, because it's, I mean, we're not even back to school yet, but school starts in like 30 days, at least for, I know it's every school district's different, at least for our kids, it's about 30 days. And there, there's time left to do this stuff. And if I'm a seller right now, I'm really looking at, do I have my next place ready to go? And if I do, should I take advantage of the market now? And if you're not getting that advice from your agent, it's time to hire a new agent and, and hear what it is. Because the old wait till the spring market adage isn't the case given what's going on in the market. You've got to understand these trends. And looking at 23% of sellers looking to move in the next three years, looking at the demand you ladies are talking about, 
to me, it's a no-brainer to make that decision if the next spot is already secured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So that's how to beat the lock-in effect if you're a seller. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to take all this information and talk about how real estate agents can solve this in their business next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. For the best local mortgage service and great rates on your money, look no further than Mortgage America. We've been operating in the greater Philadelphia area for 40 years with a focus on smooth, easy access to home purchasing. Whether you're a first-time buyer, upsizing or downsizing, or just refinancing, we have programs for you. We also have closing cost assistance programs and access to subsidized interest rates. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. To learn more, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized, local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender. NMLS 128501. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX main line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's TomTool.com. Sell your home for more and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. She's Sarah Time. And we've got Nick behind the camera. And we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. Number 11 in the, uh, 11 in the country, number seven team in the state. And what I want to talk about now, and we're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram every week, just subscribe and follow We talked about this lock-in effect, right? And the challenge I hear from agents is everyone's saying, I I want more listings because of of the lock-in effect. People are getting beat up by buyers. Is is this your Mm -hmm. sentiment right now? If you were to take the temperature of each of your respective businesses, and I'll do it for our team after after you guys uh, kind of share, is that that a gap in your business? Is that something we need to work on doing? Like, what's What's your take on the listing side versus the purchase side? I think there, uh, 
just as aggressive, actually. <laughs> so I know listings are golden right now, and that's for sure. Um, and I know we're proactive at trying to get more listings mm-hmm. in our firm. Um, definitely getting beat up with buyers, whether it be getting beat out by offers or like Sarah was saying, her example of, okay, a house is sitting on the market for 15 days and the, and the buyer gets this brilliant idea of like a super low ball and it's like, what do you think? Here's a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they must be desperate. It's been on the market 15 days. Well, it doesn't really work that way. But um, yeah, so it's, yeah, getting beat up by the buyers. It, it definitely is motivating to to scout out more of those sellers and do right. the work that's necessary to get more listings. That's for sure. But then, you know, on the flip side of that too, sometimes you have sellers that have some unrealistic thoughts about what their home is worth. Mm-hmm. I had that this mm-hmm. weekend. Um, and, you know, it was such an unrealistic expectation. Um, and it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to bring them back to reality. Right. And, and that, was kind of where I found myself this weekend. So I think it's really on both sides. <laughs> right. I mean, I think the key is to have a lot of clients, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like so that when, cause like for the buyers, like you certainly get beat up a bit with, with them. Um, some tend to, you know, kind of revamp or like regroup and go out like, you know, with, you know, I'm going to write strong offers. I'm going to like get out and see the properties. Others are like, I need to take a break. This is like too emotionally draining on me. So like you're gonna have you're gonna have that going on with with your buyers. Um and yeah, with your sellers. Some some listings, you put them up, they take your advice. It's it goes like that. It's a quick, smooth, great transaction. Other times it's a battle. And um I think the only way to like keep your sanity <laughs> is to like just have a good mix of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> A solid pipeline. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you, you said it best. The key is to have a lot of clients. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I look at this a little differently in that you can have a lot of buyers, but you can. Th- there's a finite amount of buyers you're going to be able to service effectively right. because of the time commitment involved, getting them into properties, balancing your schedule, having a life outside of work. So that, 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 that only scales so far. Now, the flip side is there's not a lot of homes to show right now in some cases, unless you're like Stacy and have nine uh, properties you want to, you, you can show someone on a weekend, but they're out, of, they're out of the area, so it makes it a little easier. So if you can understand how often you're going to be out with them, what that looks like, you can scale as many people as possible. It's about time management. Um, the flip side is when you're dealing with a listing, because not every client's going to always listen to you, or they take time to take your advice because they see that you're right and then how it works out. It's much easier servicing a home seller with client maintenance calls and a, a relationship over the phone and communicating versus meeting them constantly to show properties. So listings can drive your business. And the flip side is you take a listing, you get more inbound activity that comes in. It's going to drive activity more. It's going to put your name up more places. Stacy, Sarah, whoever is going to be more recognizable. And that's where a lot of folks don't quite get it but the, the the challenge is it's harder to get listings a lot of people they want like the bit i mean you you met with someone over the weekend and the fact that they even hired the other agent that you are now get, gaining this property from and nothing was done they, they called us we i don't need to go through all that it, it's mind-blowing to me mm-hmm. uh, yeah i mean it's you know just that you're able to share things like hey your loan might be assumable and the other agent has no idea what that even means this is right. th- that was like news to the seller right oh yeah yeah so 
when when you look at this, it's about knowledge and about, you know, it's almost our job to get the word out about, hey, here's why you should use us. Because most most agents, they to be in the top 50% of listing agents last year, you had to sell 2.7 listings, according to the National Association of Realtors. So you both have beaten that already this year. Congratulations. Uh, here's how sellers and buyers determine their agents. These are NAR stats. We've gone over these before. 89% of buyers would recommend their agent or use them again. That person now becomes a seller once they buy a home. 73% of sellers say they would use the same agent again. Here's how many actually do. 36% of sellers choose their agent through referral. So friend, family member, some sort of connection. And 27% of sellers use the agent they worked with in the past. Wow. So you have this, let's just take the 89 down to 27. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about a delta there, about 62%. Or Yeah, I'm doing the math right. 62% of agents just totally drop the ball because they're not staying in touch with their clients. So if you want more sellers, the first thing to do is just talk to the people that you've sold homes to on a regular basis. You don't need to send them gifts or do anything crazy like that. A, a, a video email with how the market is, is shaping up. Quarterly calls, calls around the holidays. This is stuff that's not hard to do, and these people already like you. It's actually an easy phone call. That alone will help you get more sellers. But if you're not focusing on, hey, how do I keep these people from becoming part of that 62%, that, that's a lot of lost income. It, it, it's almost mind-blowing to me, and so many agents just don't do it uh, for whatever reason. So we we're, we're have this big initiative now that we're rolling out at our team. I mean, you guys are a big part of it. I, I, uh, Sarah, you had a great plan that included not door-knocking one property, which I really liked. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we're... we're we, we've made this commitment that we're really going to go after listings very heavily because of all these reasons. It's going to drive your business better. So what 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 have you learned just from the, these past couple of weeks we've been working on this? And how is that going to what, – what are you doing differently in your business now that maybe you were doing a year ago? Because this is different. I think before people were just kind of playing defense and just catching what came in versus now it's going out and attacking the market. I think just uh, I'm focused more on even doing – mailers um if you know i know that we talked about this in one of our um in one of our meetings you know you see a home that has a dumpster or it's not the nicest house on the block mm -hmm. you know i mm -hmm. i i've been taking notes i i always have a notepad with me and I, I just jot down the address then when i get home i can look it up and i can send them a letter mm -hmm. hand you know has my signature and has uh, put my business card in there. And I also will send them information on what they could potentially sell for, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Based on a Zillow thing or whatever, or what has right. comped in their neighborhood. So I've been focused on that too, but, um, more circle dialing. So calling specific neighborhoods and I can do that because I do have clients that they really want to get into these certain neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a lot of, People that I've been talking to just around these now, so some of it's not productive as far as, you know, you get some sellers that are absolutely or homeowners that are like, mm -hmm. no, I'm staying. I'm not never yeah. leaving. But sometimes you can start a conversation with people. Yeah. Um, and I have gotten people to call me back if I had to drop a message. So um, I'm focused on a, a number of things that I didn't do mm -hmm. a year ago. So I, I'm, you know, I'm I've already gotten. A couple of listings, a sphere listing, uh, which was really nice. Um, but the other thing too, I'm focused on is my all my closed clients. 
the people yeah. that I sold houses to, yeah. the buyers. Um, I've been touching base with them, five to seven of them a week, you know, trying to reach out whether I leave a message or talk to them just to catch up with them. And it's kind of, it's refreshing, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's nice. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's a, I don't know, it's a happy conversation. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely I am trying to be a lot more proactive with um, my past clients, um, just being like, all right, who else, who else do you know? Or even, you know, in some cases where we weren't actually able to close on a deal, they kind of, you know, I've. I have one that just like decided to relocate to a different state, you know, but they have family in this state and I did, you know, do a good job representing them while mm-hmm. we were looking here. So being like, rather than being like, oh, that sucks, you know, there went that one being like, all right, so who else do you know here? Like, mm-hmm. who else can I help you out with? Um, so just like asking for the business. Um, and then with Spear as well, I feel like just talking about real estate more, like not like pushing it crazily, but like, you know, real estate's one of those topics that does come up. And rather than just giving like a couple short answers or whatever, like let's dive into it, you know? Um, and I think also I'm trying to like put more out there on social media just for, uh, so that I'm not so much of like a secret agent. <laughs> well, I, I think that that's a great place to start. And you've gotten some good reactions from that already. And, and you know, that that's, you know, just calling the, the people you've done business with, that, that's like the easiest thing agents can do. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the, these properties that look like they need work. I mean, you, how many times have you seen a property that had a dumpster outside and then it's got a for sale sign up like a month yep. later? Yeah. yeah. And you're like, why didn't I reach out to yep. them? So that, that's a great strategy. And that's about being in the arena and understanding that, hey, I'm looking for listings. I'm not just looking to sell this buyer a house. Mm-hmm. Um, circle dialing to me is one of the best things an agent can do right now because – you know, there's things that have worked well for me in the past. For sale by owners, expired listings, there's not a lot of them right now. Uh, the for sale by owners are, are selling. Um, and expired listings, there, there's not many, or there's like a real reason they expired. Like, hey, we've got a title issue we can't clear or or something else. So just even people you've spoken to in the past that didn't move maybe like a year or two ago, I think that's a really smart thing to be doing because the market's up so much, maybe that changes their opinion. And what I heard from both of you is I'm just having conversations about listing houses every day, and I'm looking for listings constantly. And if you make that part of your business on top of the other stuff you have working, and maybe it's a time-blocking thing, right? Like, hey, the first hour of my time where I'm, I'm looking to book new appointments are seller-focused. The second half hour or the second hour is buyer-focused or whatever your schedule looks like. If you're not being intentional about it, you're never going to get listings. The listings you're going to get are going to be the people that you, you 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 sell a home to, and it'll just fall into your lap. But you're talking about calling your sphere, and then you get one from your sphere. Did you call the person in your sphere that gave you the listing, or that you got the listing with? Well, um, I knew that they were going to be listing. Okay, smart. So you attacked so, it, which is good. Well, I I I didn't want to come off too strong. Sure. So, um, you know, I kind of like waited for my moment, my opportunity (laughs) with, hey, this is what's going on over there in that neighborhood, (laughs) you know, with some comps. And actually, it was like, wow, really? They went for that much? Yeah, they did. So, and that was kind of how it it opened up the door. So sometimes they have to be a little strategic, you know. Asking for business is one thing, but then you don't want to come on to like, you know. Yeah. Hey, can I sell your house? <laughs> you know exactly. Because then people, I, I don't want to turn anybody off like that. But it, there's a fine line between so you, being aggressive and. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to cut you off. Nope. You use the CMA a day campaign. 
We've heard this before, right? You actually just give them some value and, yeah. and show these people you know what you're talking about. And these people already knew you, right? So you yeah. fall into that category that it was like a, it was sort of that referral, someone that you knew. Mm-hmm. You delivered value and actually gave them something worth looking at. And magically, you got the listing. Yeah. Did, were they talking to other agents or what happened there? Tell us more. Other agents are calling them. As a matter of fact, when I was getting the documents signed, the agents were calling them. That's them. happened to me before. So, uh, yeah, it's like, hey, that was another agent. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, okay. Tell them it's taken care of. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so th- it's that's pretty aggressive. You know, kudos to the other agents, too, for for mm-hmm. making those calls. Well, and, and you know, I, I, that happens to me all the time, but it's there's a way to be aggressive and not come off too aggressive. And that's part of, hey, let me show you what's going on in the market. Let me help you out a little bit here. And if you have that approach of, hey, you know, I'm not worried about you hiring me right now. I just want to give you some good information. We recently were able to book an appointment with someone who bought a home with another agent. And they said our agent was great. And I said, great. Well, how about a second opinion? We, if, if you don't like what we have to say, throw us out. We go to the house. And now he still hasn't met with the other agent yet, which I think bodes well for us. And this is like a $900,000 listing. So is it worth your time meeting with them? Probably. And Mm -hmm. if you don't go meet with someone, you're never going to have that opportunity. So what what I'm I'm hearing from both of you is this is like a constant thing. It's like I'm really out there on the hunt for listings and I'm working every – everything I feel comfortable working to try to to get somebody. Um, Has this changed your mindset a little bit around your business? Oh, yeah. For me, for sure. I, mean, I heard you on the phone today doing this. So, like, is this? Are you thinking a little differently about your business with this kind of focus right now? Um, yes, and I think like really, kind of like not letting go of ones that you have. Like, it's kind of easy for things to like fall to the side or to forget about it. But like, definitely, you know, always putting in my co- like in my calendar, like to check back in with this person because I've got a couple that are kind of like off market at the moment, and like that's just not getting the marketing and the attention that it needs. So uh, just kind of bringing them up to speed with with uh, how this could play out if we really put all of our manpower behind it. Well, and, and I to me, that's where I find that it's so critical that you just have to, it has to be a focus. And so many people, they just want to, they think these things are going to come in magically. It's easier to get buyers to work with you. It's harder to get listings. And if you spend the time trying to find those folks and you can execute on the appointment like you did, Stacy, or Sarah, you did over the weekend, that skill takes time, right? You've practiced that a lot. Most people won't do it. And it's because it's hard and they're going to have to compete with other folks. So in my view, the only thing to do is you got to make it a focus, have a goal you're going to hit, have a KPI. Here's my numbers. Here's what I'm going to do and just keep doing it. And it's going to take time. Right. Like it doesn't you don't get your first listing overnight. I mean, you know, sometimes you can fall into one. And if you do, congratulations. If this isn't something you're working on on a daily basis, start working on it and have a plan going into the day. I'm clear that's probably as important as anything else, like knowing who you're going to call and what you're going to do. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We got first state brewing coming in next. Sarah's got a connection with them. They're down in Delaware. Apparently the beer is pretty good is what you've told me. Yeah. Awesome. So. We'll be right back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. 
You shouldn't have to deal with all the red tape when getting your mortgage from a big or online bank. At Mortgage America, we have access to big bank money, but with the personalized and detailed service of a local bank. We are here in your community and ready to serve with fast settlements, low down payment options, and first-time homebuyer programs. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. For more information, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. I'm Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. If you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater Philly area, I have a special offer for you. Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool sales group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's tomtoolwithane.com. Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and she's Stacey Mitchell. We've got Nick behind the camera. We all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Main Line, and we've got First State Brewing here. So First State Brewing, you can visit their website. It's firststatebrewing.com. We've got Joe and Jeff here. They're down in Delaware. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about your brewery, and then we'll take it from there. Awesome. Uh, so my name's Joe Spirat. I'm our quality and production manager at the brewery. I'm uh, Jeff Horan. I do marketing and creative. And so we opened up in 2020, December of 2020. So right in the height of great all timing. The COVID lockdowns. Yeah, <laughs> awesome, when we opened yeah. up, uh, what was it, 30% capacity? Um, because wow. we're not just a production brewery, we're also a restaurant as well. So opening during that took a lot to get used to. Um, we actually got into distributing and packaging beer a lot quicker than we would while we're here. May as well have a little yeah, beer. Yeah, crack one open. Yeah. Um, so we opened in December 2020. We started canning beer in April of 2021. Wow. So that is three months later, uh, which is kind of unheard of for this industry. A lot of people kind of open a tap room, get things going, ease into it. But with COVID, we had to we had to get that revenue stream coming in, so... Started up pretty early. I think a lot of people in the, in your industry and, and just the, the, the food and beverage industry in general really felt it during and had to pivot pretty aggressively. So 
What was that like getting ramped up and having to go from all right, we're going to brew beer to now we got to can it all? Like, I mean, what was what was that like from a like a logistical standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of baptism by fire is the best way I can describe it. Um, because so my background before working for First Date, I was with Dogfish Head, so I left a fairly well established company to kind of start with this startup. So it was already a risk, um, but then we had to pivot. So early on, uh, Jeff started with us as a uh, beer server. I was doing uh, stuff in the back of the brewery and I was helping manage the taproom one day a week, which for me is completely new experience. I'm a scientist, so I've never had to deal with like working with the public. So (laughs) after that, um, we very quickly had to pivot. So I started spending all my time in the back of the brewery. We already had the production size tanks. So we started brewing production batches. We started selling beer in 16-ounce four-packs. Recently, we've also switched to doing 12-ounce six-packs. But getting this dialed in, getting canning dialed in was a new thing for me as well. Mm-hmm. We ordered the can line as quickly as we could after we decided we were going to start producing. Uh, and then we started distributing beer in Delaware, Maryland, D.C., uh, southeastern Pennsylvania. We've sent beer to northern Virginia. We've had a drop to Miami. So, yeah. So when – since this was like a brand-new brewery, mm-hmm. like this is probably a dumb question, but like are there – is there a recipes? Like how did you – I guess how many beers do you have and – did you just have to, like, make them up as you go, or did you already have, like... I mean, I know that you're, uh, I don't know, not, like, a chemist, but, like, maybe. Well, I am, like, yeah. You are, so, you are yeah, a chemist. Yeah, I so, got like, my... Um, I have my undergrad in bio and chem from Arcadia in North Affiliate and okay. my master's in food science from Drexel. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so we have two brewing systems at the brewery, R and R&D system, which is three barrels, and a beer barrel is 31 gallons, so three times 31, 93 gallons, And then our production system is 20 barrels. And typically we brew on that two times to fill a 40 barrel tank. So for the most part, if we're going to test batch anything, we'll do it on the small system, see how it does in the tap room. If it does well, scale it up, move it out to uh, distribution. So in early days, like I said, it was only kind of three to four months after we had started brewing. We didn't have a ton of recipes built up yet. Mm -hmm. So for the first year, I'd say, year and a half, year, year and a half, we didn't make the same beer twice. Wow. So it wasn't until, what would you say, April of this year where we launched our core brands. Yeah. Um, so all of these four packs, when they were coming out, they were new new beer, and that's every two weeks. So wow. two new beers pretty much every two weeks. Um, so it's just now that we started to settle into using the same recipes. But up until that point, it's like anything. You make something, see if it does well, tweak it, change the recipe. Yeah. It's interesting. I love that you guys are testing a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I think that's important for any business. So what, what's stuck for you? Like, I mean, you know, I think breweries always have like these like kind of people come and they they have their favorites. So what's some of your better beers that you've seen are really popular? What do you want people to know about? And again, you can visit these guys at firststatebrewing.com. You're located where? Down in Middletown? Yep. Middletown, Middletown, Delaware. Delaware. All right, great. So what, what are some of your signature brews here that you've been able to develop since uh, 2020? Um, The biggest thing for us has been kind of figuring out what the market wants. And we quickly realized that a lot of beers do way better in the tap room. A lot of beers do way better out in the market, out in distribution. Um, So, for example, right now, everyone wants hazy IPAs, sours, uh, and lagers are starting to become a more growing trend. Um, In the tap room, I mean, we hang our hat. We 
try and be creative. We uh, have really, we have some fun doing a lot of Belgian beers. Um, my favorite thing to sell when I was out there was our Czech Dark Lager, which you might not go pick up on a shelf, but if you have me to sit there and sell you on it and sample you. Um, so yeah, a lot of the more classic stuff in the tap room, and people still love their hazies. I still love my hazies. I know Joe does too, but classic styles there. And then when you get out into the distribution markets, it's a lot of hazy IPAs and sours, um, which is what the people want right now. Yeah, that's actually one of the struggles because like Jeff talked about, our Czech dark lager, I love that beer. That moves crazy fast in our tap room, but we canned it and sent it out to market, and it actually was really slow okay. um, because when people are going out and buying beers, they're a lot more fickle, especially with craft beer. It's expensive. People aren't going to just take a gamble on something they've never had before. Um, so we try our best, um, especially in the tap room, to keep a well-balanced like balanced portfolio of beers because if a guest is coming in, they might not like IPA. So if 75% of what you do is IPA, they're kind of out of luck. Distribution, like Jeff said, it's pretty IPA heavy, um, but that's what people are buying right now. But we do try to sneak in like our core passion projects in there. So I know a favorite coming up, releasing the end of this month is Brewery Gnome. It's our Oktoberfest. So it's like our sour cans. We have an illustration on it for our Oktoberfest. We have a little gnome. Um, wearing like the classic like Oktoberfest outfit, the lederhosen. Yep, yep. Nice. So that always the, the that does there, really well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but we we do that where we we get to sneak in things that we're passionate about amongst all the other standard like hazy IPAs we're making. Not that we're not passionate about hazies. It's just it's nice to have variety sometimes. Yeah, mix yeah. it up. And then you guys do a lot of neat like events at the brewery as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, we have done, obviously we have our anniversary party every year, which we've only had two so far. Those are a lot of fun. We, uh, in the past, have done chef and brewer curated food and beer experiences is what we call them. So uh, we'll work together with our um, kitchen team and create a five-course meal, pair them with five beers. And that's really fun for us because we, I mean, like, we could sit here for the next eight hours and talk about beer. We love it that much, and there's so much cool stuff. So to showcase that to the public and tell you, like, yeah, you always hear about wine and food pairing, but beer and food, arguably in our eyes, pair even better. Uh, and there's so much science that can go behind it and so much detail uh, that we just have a lot of fun with that. And then we get around, we get to do a lot of fun events uh, up here in Philly, in Delaware. We've done some. Uh, we did one down in Miami last year. So uh, it keeps us busy, but it's so much fun because we love geeking out on beer. I mean, we could seriously talk for the next yeah. like day. Jumping off what you were saying, um, I'm sure you guys have heard of sommeliers for yeah. wine. Yep. So there's a program called Cicerone, and that's basically the equivalent for beer. And so both Jeff and I are Cicerones. Jeff is a certified Cicerone, and I'm an advanced Cicerone. We so, are sitting in the presence yeah, yeah. of two Cicerones? So <laughs> his is a bigger deal. He won't say it, but there's only about 150 advanced Cicerones in the world. So wow. it's it's a big Congratulations. deal. Like, Thank we, you. we love beer. It's, it's yeah. really fun. So like this is, yeah, this is what we're passionate about. I mean- that both of our exams, like your exam, I think was like four hours in person. The advanced is eight hour. Wow. The master Cicerone, which I'm studying for, I'll take eventually. There's about 20 of them, is a 16 hour exam over two days. So it's pretty in depth because wow. people think, oh, beer, like, haha, yeah, I love beer. Like, I love drinking beer, but they don't realize it's all science. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's all like what you know, like how you put it into practice, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that really demonstrates something that we're really big on at our team because you have to, like, be a student of your industry, right? And, and as much as people joke, I mean, a 16-hour exam, like, I'm out. Like, I could tell you guys right now. And I, I've spent, you know, thousands of hours, you know, practicing real estate and learning on that. But at the same time, I've gone to 
two three-day conferences and learned a lot of stuff too. So I think that's amazing, and that probably is one of the reasons why with both of you having that kind of pedigree, like that goes a long way. Do you feel like that that that, that runs through the company that way? Because breweries yeah. are popping up all over the place. Absolutely, and- yeah. Everyone and their brother gets the idea, oh, we've homebrewed a few batches. Let's open a brewery out of the garage. What I will say is uh, Paul Hester, our CEO and founder, is really good about surrounding himself with the right people. So our team are all experts in their respective responsibilities. We're all about continuous improvement, um, learning from our past mistakes, staying up to date. So like Cicerone is a big one, um, going to conferences, uh, like hanging out and just like interfacing with other people in the industry because you got to stay relevant and you have to stay up to date. Just like you were talking about, there are, last I checked, there were like in the eight eight to 10,000 breweries in the U.S. It's a big number. And there are just as many opening as there are closing. And yeah. that's a scary uh, situation to be in. Yeah. And not, not whenever we talk about Cicerone, I always like to throw it in there. Like, we're no better than anyone else. Like, you don't need to be a Cicerone to open a brewery. You don't, like, there have been people, I mean, in Middletown now we have four breweries and they're all great. And it's just, it's such... Like, believe it or not, it's such a collaborative community and there's no competition. And it's like we all want each other to to succeed. So when we see breweries closing, it's scary. Like it's yeah, it's tough right now. But now you guys were also I know Ali had sent me a link the other week and I voted for you guys. Um, But for what, I guess, to be the best brewery. in Yeah. So we were lucky enough. We found out a little over a month ago that we were nominated by. USA 10 Best as one of the best new breweries in the United States. And we were fortunate on Friday we found out that we had actually won that. Woo! So we were I, I, I saw this prepping Thank for the you. show. I didn't know this was that that kind of breaking news because yeah. I made the mistake of thinking you guys were coming on last week and this was not on your website. So congrats. That's yeah, amazing. Released yeah. Last Friday. Yeah, it's a really big deal, especially like we said, there are so many new breweries opening. We're just a brewery that in Delaware, about hour, hour and a half south of Philly, but we are pushing forward strong enough that we're number one in the past three years for new breweries. That's so. amazing. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely, we always talk about like we don't find enough time to have fun because we're always like so in it in the day to day. So that was really rewarding for all of us to be able to just sit back, celebrate like a big win and like it was much needed, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the startup mindset is tough. Like when you're a new business, no matter what it is and, and, and you, I mean, it's, Real estate's actually not that different because there's so many real estate agents. There's a lot of breweries. The market gets kind of saturated, and how yep. you differentiate yourself probably goes a long way. So all these things you're doing, I'd imagine that really helps the distribution because you talked about how picky people are. I've seen people Absolutely. stay in, like, these beer stores for, like, hours looking at what they're yeah. going to drink. And, I mean, buy. just look at the labels. Like, it can be very overwhelming if you're standing at a beer store and all of them look like this. Under yeah. that fluorescent light, you're just like... I, I don't know what to do. Right. And then sometimes it's, Did I oh, take I'll just go to the, I walked in here? Yeah, I'll just go to the, the one that I always drink, like mm-hmm. instead of, oh, I'll try something new. So while we're bringing that up, a cool feature that we do on all of our cans is uh, we consider ourselves big beer geeks. So we include a, we call it a side panel. So it lists everything you could possibly want to know about that beer, the ingredients, the intensity of flavors, and then what we call the big three, so the tasting profile. Because a lot of the time you go into these stores and you see the name of the beer, but that's it. You're like, I, I do not know what this beer is about. So this kind of gives our customers a chance to say, oh, I like watermelon. I like sea salt. Like, this sounds like a great beer. I'll go for that. Whereas it may have not been apparent to them just staring at it amongst the hundreds of other beers that they were right. looking at. Yeah. I mean, that to me is innovation because 
being a novice in this, you go in, and I've been to all these stores, and it's like, I mean, there's there's too much to pick from in a lot yep. of cases. So that that I think is going to really, I mean, that that's a genius idea, and it's just so simple. And yep. oftentimes it's the simple stuff and the simple innovations that can have the biggest difference with the customer yeah, it's base. Simp- it's the same standard template on all the ones. We plug in all the information. Um, we run our beers through taste panels, so we collect information there and put it on the cans for the customers to see. All right, so these guys... Uh, you, you blew my mind during this interview. This is amazing. So we'll, we'll make sure to repost this. We're going to share it. It's firststatebrewing.com. You can follow them on Instagram. It is at firststatebrewing, just like it's all spelled out uh, on Instagram. You can follow these guys there. Thanks for coming on, guys. This was amazing. Sarah, way to set this up. That's it for this week's episode. We're getting played off. You want to follow Stacy? She's at the number two Mitchco on Instagram. You can follow Sarah. She's at Ty underscore Ty time. You can follow me at TomTool3RD, at TomTool3rd. And we're live every week on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.